The text for the message this morning is Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. We'll read that together. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when you see an explosion, you look for the source. And if we compare the Reformation to an explosion, we can compare the source of that explosion to the Word of, uh, the, the word of God to a little stick of, of dynamite. The Reformation reminds us that when the Bible is opened, when it is studied, when it is read, when people submit to its message with trust and faithfulness, that can have tremendous results. That is because the Bible is the word of the creator of heaven and earth. And the Bible reveals his plan to restore peace to the universe through his son, Jesus Christ. In the year 1517, as Martin Luther was, was nailing the 95 theses to the local church door, his hammer touched the nerve of earth-shattering fundamental issues of faith that connected the church of his day to Augustine's battle with Pelagius, to Jesus' condemnation of the Jewish leaders, to the prophets as they were preaching to the kings of the Old Testament, to Adam and Eve's conversation with Satan in paradise. Yes, with the very issue of salvation from God's judgment and the promise of eternal life. The doctrines of grace were not a new issue in Luther's day, and they are not an old issue today. The Protestant Reformation shaped and changed all of society because it provided God's answers to the fundamental questions of human nature, underlying all situations and cultures and names attached to our church buildings. Who are we? Where have we come from? What are we to do? And you see how important the text for today is for that change in society. When God's servants throughout the ages applied God's revelation in the scriptures to these questions, the results are always as explosive as dynamite. Although many people may hate and flee the gospel of grace alone, they may be even ashamed of it. To everyone who believes the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And I am eager to preach this gospel to you under the following theme, that the gospel is divine dynamite. It destroys human idolatry, reveals the Son of God, and liberates all who believe. If you have your Bibles open, you could see in Romans 1, verse 1, that Paul calls himself a servant 
or a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. That word gospel, it refers to an announcement, an announcement that's given in the written word of scriptures, an announcement that is communicated from God to the world through the divinely ordained preachers and teachers. You can read about that in Romans chapter 10. And although the gospel message is really only a bunch of words, Romans 10 explains that God uses the preaching of these words to change the hearts of believers. And everyone who believes the message, these words, will be saved. And that is why in our text the Holy Spirit calls the gospel the power of God or divine dynamite. The word power is related to the English word dynamite. Divine dynamite that is able to bring salvation. And salvation means being set free from the wrath of God in order to serve and, uh, and serve the one true God and enjoy everlasting fellowship with the Creator without being hindered by sins and pride of human idolatry. The Apostle Paul, he learned about the importance of this message of salvation from God in a very personal and in a very practical way. In Philippians 3, verses 2 to 6, we just read that together. The Apostle Paul tells how he excelled in piety beyond his peers so that he had every reason to put his confidence in his own abilities and in his flesh. And yet Paul concludes that his attempts to save himself through his own righteousness that comes through obeying the law, those attempts were pure idolatry, idolatry of himself. Such an attempt at being good enough for God that requires a denial of the extent of the fall into sin. It, it requires an immense humanistic faith in the inward goodness of man. And Paul saw that, and, and when he tried to earn his own right into God's presence through obedience to the law, it did not bring him closer to fellowship with God. It did not bring him closer to salvation, that fellowship with God. In fact, it did not make him love more. It did not make him more gracious to his fellow man, but rather his zeal to earn it led him to turn against the Lord, to kill his fellow human beings for their faith, to, to persecute Christ Jesus. All works-based religions and works-based forms of Christianity are the same. They lead to jihad. They lead to pride. They lead to divisions. They make God out to be cold and distant. And think about that. When you compare Christ Jesus' righteousness, Christ Jesus' obedience to the law, 
and how his perfect righteousness brought him closer to God and closer to his neighbor. You will also immediately see why Paul decided to throw out his own works, throw them into the trash bin in order to replace them with the righteousness of love, the righteousness of Christ that comes from God and is given as a free gift. That conclusion of Romans 3, sorry, Philippians 3, verses 8 to 11, those last verses we read, they're, they're memorable. I'm no more of my own righteousness. I want Christ's righteousness. And brothers and sisters, the gospel, this gospel, that God gives us Christ's righteousness, that gospel is like, like dynamite in the lives of those who accept it. And you know why? Because it completely destroys all the little stick houses that we've tried to build to protect us from the fiery tongues of Judgment Day so that we learn not to trust in our own works, nor to allow those works to, to condemn us. The gospel simply blows our own works out of the picture, and, and, and it leaves you standing there as God sees you, naked, dead, in sins, free from illusions. The gospel helps you to know who you are. Asks, makes us ask, how many so-called good deeds have we done from feelings of fear of a distant judge God in order to fool those around us into thinking that we're doing a good job, that we're good folk? How much time have we wasted trying to earn our salvation by our own works while at the same time looking at our neighbor with smug contempt and pride? How many times have we made God's forgiveness and God's grace conditional on our faithfulness in reading the Bible? and confessing our sins and doing penance. And then we see, brothers and sisters, it's very easy to, to quickly let the grass grow over the rubble uh, and to plant flowers over the, 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 the discoveries of the Reformation, to just forget and, and say, oh, it wasn't such a big deal. And then see our own idolatrous hearts return to the pride the slavery, to trying to earn our way into heaven by our own works. And then the Holy Spirit just pushes the detonating button again and again, and the explosion gets rid of our works. All our works are rubbish. Boom! Here, Read this about God's holiness that he requires. You can't earn your way into his kingdom. Bang! Your good deeds aren't, aren't capable of ob obligating God to save you. Boom!
can't earn our way into heaven. Our own works are, they cannot avert our doom. We sing in a hymn. We need God's righteousness, and then we need him to give it to us as an undeserved gift of grace because we're too dead in our sins to even seek it from him. And then when, when none of our human supports and our buildings are left and there before us, we see the truth of the covenant God whom we are worshiping today. The gospel is divine dynamite that reveals the Son of God. So, so what do we see when the smoke of the explosion that destroyed our pride and human idolatry, when that smoke is, is cleared, what do we see? What's left? We see that the God who sent the word of truth that caused the explosion, he is still there beside us. In spite of our rebellion and our sins and even our, our own blindness, he is there on his throne and he reaches to us and he, and he takes hold of us. He calls all of us who are weary and heavy laden, those who, who wasted so much time trying to get up there on our own strength and, and he takes us in his arms and he gently sets us in his son on the way, the truth, and the life throughout the scriptures. And in the prophets, Romans 1 verse 2 tells us he reveals to us that his righteousness is enough. And he points us to his son, Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit tells us in our text that the gospel is the power of God for salvation for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. When God is the subject of the word righteousness, the word is connected to the idea of justice. And it refers to God's faithfulness to his covenant and his promise that he will always be our God and we will always be his people. God's righteousness is his unfailing love to everyone who believes in him throughout all of history, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And when we talk about human righteousness or, or Christ's righteousness for us and in our place, then we are talking about obedience to the law. So we can say that in his righteousness, that's his justice and his covenant faithfulness, God provided the righteousness, the obedience to the law that allows us to enjoy peace with him. Because of God's righteousness, his covenant faithfulness, he revealed the gospel to us. And in that gospel, he told us that his son is the righteous one, holy and obedient to the law for us and in our place. Now if the different uses of the same word confuse you a little bit, just make sure you remember the summary of the gospel in Romans 1, verses 1 to 6. 
That summary is that God in his covenant faithfulness has done everything for you in his son, Jesus Christ, to ensure that his chosen ones will remain in a relationship with him forever. And although historically this gospel was made first, known first to the Jews, the message was also given to the Greeks, and then we read in Romans 1, verse 5, to all the nations of the earth. Clearly, this is an important message to know, an important message to, to get right. You see, it is the Lord reaching down to us, telling us that there is a way out of the slavery that we place upon ourselves when we try to do everything right to win favor with God. There is a way out of the mess that we have gotten ourselves into. And it is found in trusting and believing the very one whom God sent to save us from perishing. In the gospel, the Son of God, is revealed and the Holy Spirit announces with joy and I'll read to you from Romans 3 verses 21 22 and 24 now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe verse 24 all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Romans 1 verse 17 tells us that this righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel from faith for faith. The word from indicates the foundation or the starting point, and the word for indicates the direction to which it moves. The Holy Spirit reveals that we can receive the salvation that is proclaimed in the gospel, proclaimed from this pulpit, by simply believing that it is true. When God works this faith in your heart, and you hear the gospel proclaimed, you will know and will understand clearly that Jesus Christ has done everything for you so that you may receive all the benefits as if you had never had nor committed any sin. Faith in Jesus Christ is all you need to be righteous, to be holy, to be innocent, to be perfect in God's eyes because faith binds you to Jesus Christ, places you in his powerful arms so that he can carry you across the only path into the presence of God forever. This faith in Jesus Christ determines all your life. That's what the apostle says when he quotes Habakkuk 2 verse 4. He says the righteous will live by faith, from faith, for faith, and Jesus Christ's righteousness is all you need to know and to believe. What a wonderful message we have to encourage ourselves, to encourage 
one another. The Lord isn't sitting there with a checklist saying, how did you do today? Are you worthy? He announces Christ's righteousness. This is the message of the gospel that we proclaim, that we believe, that we may hear once again today the gospel that, that caused the explosion in the time of the Reformation and, and over and over again throughout the ages. The way is open. The Father is, is calling you through the proclamation of this gospel and by the grace of God in his sovereign wisdom today. Again, you may hear the good news. God has allowed you to know this gospel. Have you let that gospel sink in like the seed in the soil? Has the gospel taken root in your heart? It's an explosive result. The grace of God is incomprehensible and astounded that God has shown such grace to us. We respond with a shout of joy, with, with relief. Although we do not have the slightest chance of earning our way into heaven, the divine dynamite of the gospel has revealed to us the Son of God who came for us and in our place. He, we have been set free. The gospel liberates all who believe. The stories of the leaders of the Reformation, maybe you, you thought about them or heard about them a little bit this week. They tell of lives of people who were enslaved by the fear of the wrath of God. That motto, do your best and God will do the rest, left everyone who was sincere in the, in the depths of uncertainty. Did I do enough? Did I do enough? And it left everyone who was proud in the fog of ignorance, legalism, and, and lists of extra-biblical rules and human expectations. They continue to bind the consciences of sincere and confused people all over the world. And we quickly see that the, the biggest problem of our fallen human nature is not our weakness, but our pride. You see, our weakness, when confessed, when fought against, that will be forgiven. But our pride is, is like a blindfold. It makes us unable to see the depths of our need. It makes us refuse help. It's like pride is, chains us to our condemnation. Our pride often keeps us from knowing the freedom and the comfort that is experienced by those whose sins are known, whose sins maybe had to have been publicly exposed, those whose weakness has overwhelmed them, those who have been given no other choice but to throw themselves on God's mercy and depend on Him. You see, our pride often prevents us from that place of utter and complete need. It's striking. It's very striking to see how often our Lord Jesus calls the people who are spiritually strong 
in the eyes of the world, how often he calls them to believe and accept the doctrines of grace. People like you and I, people who, who know the Bible, people who find it easy to find time to, to read the Bible, tithe and, and go to church. And we are reminded of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector that we read together in Luke 18. For it is, it is exactly those who think they are managing to keep it all together in their own strength, like that Pharisee, that are in the most danger of missing out on the gospel of grace, the grace of God. And sometimes we're like that Pharisee, aren't we? We feel sorry for the weak, the despised tax collector sinner types. Everybody knows their weakness and their sin. It's a public thing. We feel sorry. They're so weak. They can only cry out to God to have mercy on them. And then maybe we even look down our, our noses a bit at them and then maybe we smugly thank God that while we're managing, you know, it's tough, we're managing to keep our religious life in shape. And then when we ask God for help, we pray to him. It's, it's not a desperate prayer of a broken and a weak person. But what is it? It's more of a prayer for a little help along the way. If we miss a day of help from God here or there, we'll figure we'll manage just fine. Before we know it, we even get a little ticked off when the Bible blabs on and on about sin and we couldn't care less what the minister says about righteousness outside of us. We think, Lord, just tell me what I can do for you and your church. Just give me something to accomplish and I'll go and do it. I'm, I'm good like that. I'm an actor. I can do things for you. Oh, how often we show that we're ashamed to look like the tax collector in Jesus' parable. Ashamed to admit, to confess that we are weak and fallen sinners. Like swine, like pigs standing in the mud trying to convince the, the pigs standing around us that, that our feet are not dirty. We question the value of facing and confessing our sins and weaknesses. Does God have to hear me say it? Does it help my husband? Does it help my wife? Does it help my children to know that I am struggling against sin? Wouldn't it be better to, to let them think that I am perfect? The divine dynamite of the gospel is the only way to be set free from our pride because when it takes away our rubbish, it gives us perfect righteousness in Christ. You see, brothers and sisters, the issues of the Reformation, they were not new, but they were also not old issues. The power of God revealed in the gospel is that there is only one path, and that is in his righteousness. And those who walk on this path 
are those who have confessed their sins, who have confessed their weaknesses, who, who, who are aware of their brokenness and their complete dependence on God. You see, when we tie ourselves to the Reformation with the name Reform on our church building, we are not declaring our superiority to the rest of mankind, our, our theological significance. But we're rather confessing our shameful weaknesses, our complete dependence on Jesus Christ. We are warning the world that this church building is full of weak and sinful people who daily are confessing their sins to God and to one another. We are fleeing to Christ Jesus alone and his righteousness. In the church, we say with Paul, we are not ashamed of the gospel. We're not ashamed to be dependent on his mercy. Standing in the presence of the holy God who sees us inside and out, no matter how hard we try to fool others. Standing in his presence, brothers and sisters, now is not the time to try maintain our personal dignity. We are not ashamed to cry out, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And we're not ashamed to tell the world that God has answered our prayer when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay for my guilt, to fulfill all righteousness for me and in my place, to, to carry me by his spirit on the path of thankfulness right into the presence of God. We're not ashamed because God is gracious. In this week of the Reformation, it's good to really take a look at your life, to ask yourself again, what does it look like to live from faith to faith under the shelter of God's grace? We'll sing about that shelter in the Psalms. Understanding the mercy and the grace that God has shown to us undeserving sinners. What does that make you look like? What kind of person does that make you to be? We pray with urgency. We pray with humility. We pray with trust. We hunger and thirst for the righteousness of Christ. And in our humility, in our humility, we will find it's easier to be patient with the weaknesses of others. You see, the Reformation was not just a theological debate that took place in the church assemblies had nothing to do with the real lives of real people, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile alike. The doctrines of grace are the heart and the soul of Christian life. The difference between a proud and a violent Cain and a humble, worshiping Abel who sought to walk with his God. And brothers and sisters, when you throw away any dependence on works in your own life, when you, then you also are throwing away the pride of the Pharisees. You are throwing away that aggressive violence of Paul before he was converted. You are throwing away that fear of an angry God that Luther experienced. You are throwing away that complete uncertainty of all those at that time who, who did not feel good enough or righteous enough to be in the presence of God. 
and you glorify Christ Jesus alone. When we humbly confess our own weakness, our dependence on God, when we receive Christ's righteousness, brothers and sisters, then the gospel and in all its power, it comes booming into our lives as the liberator. And we're not ashamed to tell the world that we live by the grace of God because we believe it's true. We live by the grace of God. We love by the grace of God. We are comforted by the grace of God and we will worship our gracious God as long as we live. Amen.